Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this Sunday you've given us. Every time we have to be able to gather and sit under your word, and yes, to place the spotlights of our heart on you is a, a Sunday that is worth giving you thanks for. Uh, thank you for this moment. Would you help us to receive your word implanted deep within us, work so that we might be, by your spirit, changed into worthy servants who find joy in glorifying you. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. About 60 years ago, there was a unknown band taking part in a grueling tour across the English countryside. Uh, they were the opening act, uh, actually the, the lowest build of all the opening acts, for a fairly well-known up-and-coming star by the name of Jane Shapiro. Uh, Jane was 17 years old, and crowds were more than happy to gather and to cheer her on. She was pretty popular. Well, this unknown band, they didn't start off doing much except riding her coattails. Uh, that is until about halfway through that year-long tour with her, when one of their songs made it all the way to the top of the charts unexpectedly. Uh, soon, something very odd started happening. The crowd started showing up to cheer them on even more than they were cheering Jane on. Well, as the, their fame continued to grow, eventually that band became a household name that went by the name of The Beatles. And as you might expect, Jane Shapiro, well, she was eclipsed. She faded into the background compared to the shining star that was that very well-known band. Now, it's a hard thing to watch anyone eclipse you. The, to see someone in the spotlight, maybe the spotlight that you used to occupy or that you want to occupy, to see them be applauded, praised, to see people paying attention to them when maybe part of you wants to have that attention for yourself. Uh, certainly, that's a dynamic with pop stars and celebrities. It happens in businesses, too. It, it's a hard thing when the, the ambitious upstart passes someone on the corporate ladder. That often leads to a lot of envy. Uh, it happens in families. Uh, sometimes generation to generation, as one generation starts planning family events, the other generation feels a little bit envious that they're no longer in the spotlight. Uh, there's all sorts of times where this happens because our hearts, at some level, we desire the glory that's really due for another. We desire to be in the spotlight, the, the spotlight of other people's hearts, and even maybe, according to the flesh and the enemy, the spotlight of heaven itself. This part in Luke's gospel, we come to a section where a brightly shining star of John the Baptist has a moment of testing. Will he step back from the spotlight so that the sun can step into it? Will he fade so that Jesus can shine as brightly as he needs to, to fulfill God's plan? And as we watch him go through this, uh, this process of fading into the background, we'll learn something for ourselves. That there is joy to playing the background when we know that Jesus deserves to be in the spotlight. There's joy to playing the background when we know that Jesus deserves to be in the spotlight. We'll see that in two sections this morning. First in 15 through 20, we'll see John fades so that Jesus can be first. John fades 
so that Jesus can be seen as first. And then 21 through 22, we'll see God speaks so Jesus can be seen as son. God speaks so that Jesus can be seen as son. And all this we'll see that there is joy in the background when Jesus is in the spotlight. Uh, let's begin with that first section, 15 through 20. John fades so Jesus can be seen as first. Uh, there was a buzz going through the Judean countryside. A buzz because of the baptizer, John. Uh, he was like a prophet of old wearing strange clothing and preaching a, a message that thundered with the very power of heaven, a, a message of repentance. That God's people needed to turn from their sins and turn back to God. Uh, not only did he have a powerful message, but he had a powerful sign that went with it, his baptism. Uh, no one was doing anything like what John was doing for hundreds of years, and no one had ever had a baptism that went along with a message like that. So as unprecedented as John's ministry was, you can understand how people started to ask a question that you see in verse 15. Could John be the Christ? As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Is he the one we've been waiting for? Is he the Messiah? The king that's going to come with a, a giant army at his back and overthrow the Romans and put us back on top. Now, I realize that buzz that was building provided for John a trial, a test. See, at this moment, he was squarely in the spotlight. Everybody knew about him. He was taking the Judean world by storm. But the question is, would he accept this moment of maybe even uh, gathering the glory for himself, or would he pass it on to another? Thankfully, John was a man full of faith who understood his role, and a lesser man might have tried to keep it for himself, but that's not what John does. John tells the people as clearly as anyone might that he is not the Christ. And in fact, the Christ is much greater than he is. In verse 16, you can see him saying as much. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. One is coming after me. He's the one you're looking for. And I don't even measure on the Richter scale compared to the earthquake of spirituality that's coming. Well, John then goes on to list off three ways in which the one coming after him, Jesus, far surpasses anything that John could ever hope to live up to. Uh, first, in verse 16, he says that Jesus will be worthier than he is. He says, I baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, back then, there, people had a problem with feet. See, the roads were mostly not paved, and that meant that you're walking on dirt roads. If it rained, that meant it was very muddy. It was also an agrarian society, so that meant you were sharing your road with all sorts of different cattle that didn't exactly care where they left their droppings. You add to that that most people went, walked around barefoot, or if you did wear some sort of footwear, it was going to be open-toed sandals. And all that adds up to a very sticky, very stinky situation when it comes to people's feet. Well, as a result, touching someone's feet or washing their feet was considered below what you would expect of anyone. 
No Jew is expected to do it. It was slaves work at best, but Gentile slaves at that. Well, John takes that image and he says, the one who's coming after me, Jesus, he is so much higher than I am that I'm not even fit for that slave's work to touch his dirty feet and take off his sandals. I'm less than a slave compared to the Christ. The second thing that John says is that he will bring with him a greater baptism than the one I have. Uh, remember, John was famous for this rite of immersing people in water as a sign of the repentance people were being called to. But John's baptism is a lot like the baptisms we do uh, today. It, it, it is a, a symbol that at best can point to something on the inside. It, it has no power to actually wash on the inside where sin lurks in the human heart. But Jesus, on the other hand, is going to do something different. John already told us, I baptize with water. Now he says, one who is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, Jesus will bring a, a, a baptism, not, not on the outside, but on the inside. Not with water, but with the Holy Spirit to cleanse sinful hearts. Uh, now, John is speaking of what every Christian has experienced for themselves. Uh, what happens when you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit as your dead spiritual heart is replaced with a living one? When the Holy Spirit comes and cleanses you with holy fire on the inside and sanctifies you and sets you aside for God's purposes and then empowers you to live a life for God. Uh, the beginnings of that were seen when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. You remember how it was described in Acts uh, chapter 2? The disciples, are, they used to be timid and afraid and suddenly they're bold and powerful. And, and what's the difference? Well, the Holy Spirit came down on them like tongues of fire and indwelled each and every one of them. Uh, John looks forward to the baptism that Jesus will bring and says, my baptism is nothing in comparison. Uh, one stumbling block some Christians have regards to this baptism of the Spirit is wondering, is this something that all Christians have experienced or is this something that's reserved for a secondary thing that happens after you have a spiritual breakthrough or if you get spiritually mature enough? Especially in the more charismatic Pentecostal type churches, you might have people tell you that until you speak in tongues, you have not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think that that's what this passage or what the Bible as a whole teaches. And I'd invite you to just study 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, if you have that question. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Paul makes it very clear. If you're in Christ, then you are part of the body of Christ, and you have been baptized into the same spirit that's happened to all of us, and then given the gifts of the spirit. All right, those are the first two reasons that Jesus is greater than John. There's a third one in verse 17, and that is Jesus will bring a greater judgment. Jesus' ministry will bring a far greater judgment than John's does. Now, realize that every time a prophet brought a word from God, there was a sort of sifting or separating going on as the word of God is either received and obeyed or rejected. And any time someone rejects the word of God, there is a sort of judgment, uh, whether that is something that we're aware of or not, or simply our hearts being hardened on the inside imperceptibly. But with Jesus, the, 
the judgment that's coming will be far more powerful, far more absolute, and the separation will be total. Uh, In verse 17, John uses the image of someone separating kernels of wheat from the outer husk or the chaff. Uh, Back then, if you wanted to get to the good stuff on the inside, you need to figure out a way to separate it. So you have a a pile of grain, and you would take a a winnowing fork, it's like a shovel, and you would take a scoop of it, you lift it and toss it in the air. And what would happen is is the wind would pick up on the, the grain, and it would blow the lighter chaff, the outer husk, away, and down to the ground at your feet would fall all the parts that you could eat. Well, that's the image that's used of what Jesus is about to do. His ministry is going to separate humanity. He's going to sort out who are the faithful and who are the fakers. And all of this will be a result of how you respond to Jesus. Will you receive his word? Will you receive him as Lord? Or will you be rejected and thrown to the eternal flames? Uh, The image of judgment there is of Jesus himself sending away uh, those who reject him to unquenchable flames, the eternal wrath of God for all those who have rejected Christ. Now, John was a mighty prophet, the mightiest that has ever come to Israel up to this point. And yet, surely, the case he is making is airtight. He is nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus is the one that deserves the spotlight, not John. And so John must take a step back and fade into the background. And that's exactly what happens in verses 18 through 20. Uh, It's remarkable for how wonderful and unprecedented of a prophet John was, how few, few verses it takes for Luke to summarize how his ministry sunsets. We're told that He preached the good news. His ministry went on in popularity for a while until he got on the wrong side of Herod. Then Herod didn't like the fact that John called him out for his sin in an adulterous marriage. So he locked him up, hoping to lock up his conscience in the process. And that, functionally, was the end of John the Baptist. Just like that, his time in the spotlight was over. And he had to fade so that the sun could be seen as first. Now, I think there's much we can learn from John the Baptist, because even if we're not a mighty prophet sent by God with a unique ministry like that, uh, each and every one of us needs to learn how to let go of the spotlight, to fade into the background and find joy pointing people to Jesus, the one who deserves the spotlight. Now, I think... If you think about it, we have even more reason than John did to point people to Jesus and away from ourselves. I mean, John looked forward to what Jesus has done, but if you're a Christian this morning, you have experienced the things John talked about. Uh, You've experienced that Jesus is worthier than anyone else in this world, including yourself. You've experienced the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And yes, the being set apart for God, the, the holy fire of the Holy Spirit inside you, working through you. You know that that's not of yourself. You know that is Christ in you. So of all people, Christians should be the quickest to step out of the spotlight so it can be for the one who deserves it, the Son, Jesus. I think very practically this plays out in the the way that Christians learn how to die. 
Uh, one of the things I get to do as a pastor is walk with people on their last days on this earth. Uh, I got to do that with Greta White the last few months. And uh, one of the things that was remarkable about her is she had a very mature understanding about how good it is to be forgotten. She told me at one point, she said, you know, it won't be very long now until I'm dead, and not longer after that until everyone on this earth has forgotten me. But no one's going to forget about Jesus. And thinking about that makes me very happy and peaceful. I you can put a lot of pressure on yourself thinking you've got to leave your mark on this world. You want to do something to be remembered. But if you're a Christian, the good news is it's okay to be forgotten. There are generations, 2,000 years of Christians that have come before you, vast majority of whom you've never heard their names and you won't know their stories until you're in that great heavenly assembly yourself. And yet you know the name of their Savior, Jesus. His name will never be forgotten. There's a freedom and knowing your life is meant to be playing the background to Jesus. I think this also plays out the way that we handle those moments of disappointment where we want to be in the spotlight in life. Uh, you know, it could be a difficult thing. Uh, think about it when you feel like you're not being treated the way you should be in the, your office. Uh, maybe someone starts a rumor about you that's not true. Or maybe someone pins the blame on you for something that didn't go well. And you have that moment of feeling like, I just got to go correct all this misinformation about me. I've got to, if, if I don't fight for my reputation, no one else will. I'm not saying it's always wrong to clear up misunderstandings. But what if your reputation, what if your being thought of well, isn't the most important thing to you? What if maybe Jesus has you in that office for something other than everyone thinking you're a wonderful worker and a wonderful friend? Might you use even that disappointment as a way to direct people to Jesus, the son who should have the spotlight in your life? Or, or maybe when you receive praise, uh, you know, maybe something goes really well for you. You, you host Christmas really well. And everyone's like, oh, thank you. You're the best host ever. That's, that was fantastic. At that moment, your heart has a little bit of a test, doesn't it? You can bask in the spotlight of the praise of people. Or even if it's something you do in your own heart, you can direct their praise to the one who deserves it, to Jesus. Uh, let's be a people that remind ourselves quickly that, that only Jesus deserves the spotlight. Let's, let's endeavor to fade into the background and find the joy of worshiping and serving him from there. John gives us a wonderful example of Jesus being lifted up as first by fading himself. But, but there's another way that Jesus needs to be lifted up, and that is as the beloved son. That's our second point. Heaven speaks so Jesus can be seen as son, 21 through 22. Heaven speaks so Jesus can be seen as son. Now, Luke brings us back to uh, while John the Baptist was still out of jail baptizing, and he tells us that Jesus himself was baptized. And as Jesus is being baptized, he is praying, and, and as he is praying, three remarkable things happen. Three things that are really heaven itself telling us that Jesus is the beloved son deserving of the spotlight. Uh, the first is we're told that the heavens opened. 
that's a, a way of describing some sort of visual sign up in the sky that represents heaven communicating something that was previously unknowable. Heaven itself is sending a message. Heaven's on the line and is declaring something to the world if we will listen. The second sign fills in a little more of what that is. We're told that the Holy Spirit, in looking like something like a dove, comes and rests on Jesus. Now, nowhere else in the Bible up until this point will you find a reference to the Holy Spirit as a dove. Uh, I think the most likely explanation for why is because Jesus is going to use the power of God, but he's going to do it with gentleness and meekness. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit comes and rests on Jesus, remains upon him. Now, that's remarkable already, but it signifies far more than just the Spirit indwelling him. Because Jesus, in this moment, is being anointed. Uh, later on in Acts 13, the, the disciples will preach about this moment, and they will say that God declared Jesus to be the Christ by anointing him with the Spirit in power. In this moment, Jesus is having the same thing happen to him that happened to the Israelite kings and prophets. Uh, they were anointed with oil to, re to represent that they were set apart for service to God. But Jesus, he is anointed with the very Spirit of God. There's one final sign. And really, the way the passage is written, all of the verbs are written. So this is the main event. This is the whole thing is about. And that is a voice that is heard from heaven itself. It is God himself speaking. And what does he say? You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God declares that Jesus is the unique son. That he is the one that everyone has been waiting for. The, the long-promised king, the redeemer that would rescue God's people from their sins. And, and yes, he is the one deserving of the spotlight of heaven. Jesus is the one. And now he is here and ready to step into his earthly ministry. In, in this moment, we see Jesus about to take his, the steps forward that will one day lead, lead him to the glory of the cross. He will be the one that will fulfill the words of Psalm 2. That the son, uh, uh, the, the one who God declares son, who has given the nations as an inheritance. Uh, the nations that he will rule with a, an iron scepter and even judge them one day. Uh, he's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 42. Uh, that he is the servant that the Lord delights in. The servant who will suffer so that he can show mercy to sinners. Uh, Jesus is taking the first steps into the spotlight for the ministry that will one day redeem us from our sins as he hangs on the cross. You see, brothers and sisters, there's no one else on earth, no one in heaven who is due for the acclaim that Jesus has because no one else is the son sent from heaven to come and rescue sinners. In this moment, we see Jesus, the son, beginning to shine taking his, spot in, the spot, uh, his uh, spot in the spotlight and beginning his ministry to one day save us all. So brothers and sisters, consider the fact that we need to continually remind ourselves that Jesus deserves the spotlight and not us. Every week there is a dynamic that goes on in our hearts, 
we have opportunities to think that we are the most important thing in the world, in our own lives. We go to work, we talk with our friends, we have time with our family, and little by little, the flesh and the devil try to push that lie in front of us. You're the one people should think well of. You're the one people should pay attention to. You're the one that deserves comfort and ease and notoriety. Do you realize that's one of the reasons why we need that weekly rhythm of coming to church and worshiping? It is us dragging the spotlight off of ourselves and putting it back on Jesus. Uh, when we get together, what do we do? We, we sing songs in praise to Jesus. We, we declare that Jesus is the reason for us living, that he is due all that we have. Uh, we do that very intentionally because our hearts need to be reminded that Jesus is the son, the one in the spotlight, not us. Uh, realize also that's one of the reasons why we need each other as Christians. We have a role to play in each other's lives, reminding ourselves that we are not the focal point of this world, and we're certainly not even the focal point of our own journey through this world. Jesus is the main event. He's the one in the spotlight, and we need to help encourage each other to that reality. You know, when you go to a small group, that's one of the things you get to do. You ask each other how your week's going, you talk about the things that you're struggling with, and then you encourage each other how to put Jesus at the center, don't you? You get very practical. Well, I'll pray for you about that, that, that you wouldn't struggle so much with someone else getting the attention. I'll pray for you that you'll be joyful in the midst of that hard trial. I'll pray for you that you would trust Jesus, that this is good for you. Uh, friends, not only is this something we need to do, this is something we get to do. There's joy when you are in the right place. Uh, not in the spotlight, but back in the background. Playing the background for the one who deserves to be in the spotlight. Now that's the place to find joy. John learned that lesson, and I pray that each and every one of us will learn it ourselves. Uh, there's a wonderful song by the artist Lecrae called Background. I think it gets this almost exactly right. It goes, I could play the background. You take the leading role, and I'll play the background. I know I miss my cues. I know I forget my lines. I'm sticking to your script, and I'm reading all your signs. I don't need my name in lights. I don't need a starring role. Why gain the whole world if I'm just going to lose my soul? I could play the background. Don't you want that to be true in your heart? Put Jesus in the spotlight and find joy playing the background for the one who is worthy of the spotlight of your heart and the spotlight of heaven itself. Let's pray.